This is Speaking Freely with the ACLU of Pennsylvania. I'm Andy Hoover, your host and Director of Communications at the ACLU of PA. On any given day at the state capitol in Harrisburg, an observer can see a cross-section of Pennsylvanians. On every session day, there is a buzz created by the activists and advocates and concerned Pennsylvanians hoping to influence state legislators. You can walk through the capitol's main rotunda once an hour, and see press conferences and rallies by legislators and advocates on almost every issue imaginable. Last month, I dropped into the Capitol one day to catch up with some of our partners who are working to advance two key civil rights issues. First person I talked with was Jeff Reedy, the executive director of Lehigh Valley Normal. Normal is the national organization for the reform of marijuana laws and is one of the nation's leading advocates for ending cannabis prohibition. When Normal was founded in 1970, support for marijuana legalization polled below 30%. Today, polls show that nearly two-thirds of Americans support ending prohibition, and 10 states and the District of Columbia have some form of legalization. 33 states, including Pennsylvania, has some form of medical marijuana. Normal has several chapters in Pennsylvania, and when Jeff and I caught up, The normal chapters were in the middle of a lobbying day, with dozens of Pennsylvanians walking the halls of the Capitol and meeting with legislators to advocate for a portfolio of bills to advance the marijuana reform effort. In this conversation, Jeff talks about those bills and about what the ideal form of legalization looks like. And yes, I'm aware that the National Cannabis Holiday 420 is right around the corner. Later, we'll hear about an LGBTQ&T history exhibit that is touring the state, which started in the state capitol last month. But first, let's hear from Jeff Reedy. This conversation and the one that follows were both recorded on March 18th. So, Jeff, we're here at the state capitol today. What's going on? Why are you here today? Uh, We're here with uh, normal chapters across the state, and we're here to push for cannabis reform. And I know you're supporting several bills. Tell us about the bills that you are lobbying on today. Sure. So we've got a House bill. We've got HB 132, which is Barry Joswiak's decriminalization bill, which is a good bill until you get to the third offense when it becomes a a misdemeanor, and we're not happy with that, and we're not happy with, uh, you know, all, all the things that are involved with that, including the loss of driver's license. So we'd like to see a better decriminalization bill. But but that said, uh, last year, Jaswiak's bill managed to get out of the House Judiciary and before the end of the year, but died at the end of the year. So this is just a reintroduction, slightly different wording, and we, you only lose the driver's license now at the third offense. So we also have a legalization bill, HB 50. Uh, that is Jake Wheatley's legalization bill reintroduced, slightly recrafted from last year. It's a strong bill and it, it, it ties in with the medical marijuana program using the same facilities, the growers, processors, and dispensaries as the marijuana program, creating an office to oversee the adult use part of the, mar- the, the cannabis that would be facilitated through the current Act 16 program. Okay. Okay, then uh, we also have uh, Christopher Robb is going to be introducing, he's introduced a memo to deal with the uh, cannabis-related DUIs in the state. We've got 100,000 medical marijuana patients here in Pennsylvania right now that have been set up by the state to get busted for DUIs every time they get on the road behind a wheel because, as we both know, Andy, 
um, cannabis uh, THC stays in your system longer than today or tomorrow. Uh, we got medical marijuana patients that are taking cannabis every day of their lives for, for their health benefits. And so that's, that cannabis is in their system all the time. We recently had a few incidents where medical marijuana patients were pulled over. Cops accused them of smoking, took blood tests, uh, piss tests and stuff like that, found metabolites in there enough to go over the, the legal limit. We've got zero tolerance in Pennsylvania for THC metabolites in our system. I think it's like 0.5 or something. It, it's, right. it's very low. So they got busted. They got put into court. The court recognized that they, they were not intoxicated when they were pulled over, but they were still over the legal limit according to the state law, so they got charged with a misdemeanor for, for being under the influence of cannabis. So we've got 100,000 mar medical marijuana patients in Pennsylvania that cover that. Christopher Robb's legislation is supposed to be covering that. And I understand that Alabama has uh, looser standards around DUI and, and cannabis uh, consumption than Pennsylvania does. Yeah, they, uh, ironically, Andy, they, they, they come to realize that uh, they need to address the issue, and they've come to realize that it's got to be a, a, a physical observation of intoxication as opposed to just the simple metabolites and blood tests that are inaccurate at, at best right now. Right, and DUI stands for driving under the influence. If you're not actually under the influence, it doesn't make sense to it's, charge It's kind of ridiculous. Right. Right. right, so we got all that going on, on in, in the House, and then we have Senate, Senate bills. Um, Senator Street introduced a um, decriminalization bill. SB 233, I believe it is. Uh, so that is a decriminalization bill. It, it goes a little bit further than what Joswax does. It's a little bit less charges. There's no, dec there's no uh, misdemeanor at the end, at the final, at the final phase of, of that. Uh, street is also uh, co-sponsoring SB 350, which is the street leech legalization bill, which goes a little bit further than Jake Wheatley's legalization bill. Has the same uh, criminal justice components as Wheatley's bill. But in addition to the home grows and the licensing, the licensing would be different. It would be separate from the medical marijuana program. Okay. Uh, the bill is going to be pushed through the um, agricultural committee. It's go and we're going to be handling cannabis as a plant. Imagine that. Handling it as a plant, which it is, a natural plant. It's science. I know. It's, it's great. It's great. So they're going to be handling it as a plant. It's going to be going through that. So instead of tagging on to the medical marijuana program, you're going to be creating a separate entity to handle the growing processing and sale of, of cannabis in the state. And they're also going to be talking about lower licensing fees than what the medical marijuana program is. Not having to have half a million dollars in order to invest in a medical marijuana program. They're also talking about micro-businesses as, as the Jersey New Jersey uh, legalization bill is, is, is that's, that's being talked about right now, right. Uh, where people can grow smaller amounts of plant, which again have to be sold back to to the dispensaries in the state, but it allows people an opportunity to get into the business aspect of cannabis at a lower level with lower entry fees. Well, I'm glad you mentioned that because that's a good segue into something else I want to ask you about. There's a lot of debate in marijuana reform circles about what the best type of legalization is and what that looks like. Um, there is some concern about the influence of big corporations, about the ability of people with past convictions to be pardoned or at least have their record expunged. Uh, there are concerns about the access that people of color will have to cannabis startups. Um, in your mind, what are the key components of legalization? What is the ideal form of legalization? Whew, that's a big <laughs> picture. Uh, first off, you know, obviously a, a child of the 60s and 70s, legalization is what I want. I want 
period, legalization. I'd love to see no government interference in legalization, but that's, a, that's an impossibility. It's not going to happen in this day and age. Uh, what I'd like to see is legalization with, with limited control by our government. Limited taxation, but taxation that helps our government. Um, I'd like to see safe marijuana, marijuana cannabis available to both patients and adult users. Uh, so I'd like to see testing of this cannabis that is being grown by home growers, these micro-businesses, and I like the micro-business aspect of, of the legalization aspect, so that, as again, as, as we had the problem with the medical marijuana program, we dealt, dealt with lobbyists, and eventually it got too expensive for anybody to get in except the richest people, and most of those right. rich people were coming from outside of the state. Right. Now, part of, part of, part of Jersey's uh, legalization law is in order to apply for a license to be any, any business within the state, you have to be a resident of New Jersey for at least two years. So, unlike Pennsylvania, where we've got monopolies coming in from out of the state, controlling the dispensaries and the grow processors in the state, this is allowing the little guys, the people that are here that have been most affected by, by, by this, um, can, this, this, this cannabis prohibition, it's, you know, it's just giving them more opportunity to get in and reform their lives. Great. Um, so I do want to ask you about the politics as well. First of all, I saw there was a New York Times article yesterday talking about the progress that's been made in this movement and on this issue, even going so far as saying this is a litmus test for presidential candidates. Oh, wow. um, there's an old saying that good policy makes good politics, so tell me why you think the politics are shifting in our favor. Public opinion, first off. And I think the rec recognition and realization that marijuana is not as bad as your, your parents, your grandparents, or your high school health teacher might have told you. It, it, it doesn't hurt people. I mean, it, we're, Mar cannabis is a lot less harmful than alcohol. Uh, we're, li we're living in a society where 25% of Americans have, are smoking cannabis on a weekly basis. We're living in a society where 50% of Americans have tried cannabis at some point in their life. So the overwhelming population has tried cannabis. Most of them recognize that it's not bad, except for those that have continued to latch on to the reefer madness mentality. Well, speaking of that, we can all do math. The Republicans have solid majorities in both the State House and the State Senate, and their caucuses are led by people who have adamantly opposed legalization. So what's the plan? What is the path to making this a bipartisan issue? I think we need to talk about personal freedoms. Uh, I think we just need to keep pressing on, on our opposition. This, this may not be the year that we passed legalization, but heck, we got... Um, we got decriminalization out of the House Judiciary Committee under Marsico. We can, get, we can get decriminalization out of a House committee again this year. We could probably do the same in the Senate. And actually, as a matter of fact, I know Senator Street has at least two Republicans on his, his decriminalization bill already. So we're, we're, we've already got support on the other side. We need to continue that push. We, we need that to grow like, like a cancer on, on the Republican side, and we need them to keep talking. I mean, I'd say maybe more, more like a bloom like a flower. Okay, we'll go that. for flower. Yeah, I, I love flowers, yeah, especially what we're talking about. Flowers are great, yeah, yeah. But I, 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 think, I, I think as these people start really listening to their constituents, if, they, if any of them actually attend Fetterman's listening tour and see what their constituents are saying, the people that vote, for, vote them in and vote them out, I think they'd recognize that the next time around they're not going to have a chance if they're voting on the wrong side of this issue.
when I was lobbying, people said, you know, when it, whatever the issue was, they had to feel like they would feel it at the polls, and it seems like public is move, the public is moving in that direction uh, in our favor, in favor of ending prohibition and having full-on legalization. So, Jeff, thanks for the time. As always, appreciate thanks, it. Thanks, Andy. Thank you very much. Free the leaf. Yes, definitely free the leaf. Thank you to Jeff Reedy and everyone who supported Normal's Lobby Day. To recap those bills, House Bill 132 lowers the grading for possession of marijuana from a misdemeanor to a summary offense for the first two offenses and a max fine of $300. For a third offense, the grading bumps back up to a misdemeanor. Senate Bill 233 lowers the grading for possession to a summary offense regardless of the number of previous offenses with a max fine of $25. It is important to be clear here, these bills are not decriminalization in the literal sense. A summary offense is still a criminal offense and comes with the problems attached to being arrested and convicted, including the need to get your record expunged years after the fact. But at the least, both HB 132 and SB 233 represent steps forward by eliminating the threat of jail time and by downgrading the seriousness of the offense, a move that frankly is rarely seen at the Pennsylvania General Assembly. As Jeff mentioned, there are also two legalization bills on the table, House Bill 50, which legalizes for recreational use through the existing medical marijuana program, and Senate Bill 350, which creates its own licensing structure outside of the Commonwealth's medical marijuana program and includes home grow. All of these bills are currently in committee awaiting consideration. While no one expects a vote on legalization tomorrow, the bipartisan embrace of criminal justice reform and the public's increasing acceptance of marijuana have together created an atmosphere where real progress on this issue is possible. So on the same day that Normal was lobbying legislators, our friends at the LGBT Community Center of Central PA held a grand opening and ribbon-cutting for The Long Road, an exhibit that highlights the history of the struggle for LGBTQ and T equality in the Commonwealth. The exhibit largely focuses on the slow advancement of local laws that prohibit discrimination based on sexual orientation and gender identity in employment, housing, and public accommodations. The exhibit celebrates the many activists and elected officials who have pushed forward to put these ordinances in place, and it is a reminder that sexual orientation and gender identity are not explicitly named in the state's non-discrimination law, the Pennsylvania Human Relations Act. I talked with Barry Loveland about the exhibit. Barry is the chair of the LGBT Community Center's History Project and of the Pennsylvania LGBT History Network. So Barry, we're standing here at the state capitol checking out this new exhibit on LGBTQ plus history in Pennsylvania. Tell us what we're looking at here. Well, this is an exhibit that really chronicles the efforts that activists have done for more than five decades in Pennsylvania to try to achieve LGBTQ equality in the state. And through various ways of uh, getting together with uh, the, the state officials, uh, early on, uh, there was an effort to, to uh, work with Governor Schapp, and Governor Schapp was an, a governor way ahead of his time, yeah. 
He uh, was the first governor to meet with LGBTQ people. He was the first governor to uh, pass uh, or issue an executive order that banned discrimination for um, state employees. It was limited to state employees. He couldn't do anything further than that because of the legislature wasn't going to be cooperative with him. Um, and also, um, uh, from there, uh, there were a lot of activists that, that were pushing to try to get uh, statewide legislation, but they realized that it was going to be difficult, and they realized it was going to take a long time. So the, the um, I guess the strategy was to then go city by city, township by township, battle by battle. And this exhibit really chronicles that story of how uh, many of those activists uh, made personal sacrifices, uh, worked tirelessly to get these ordinances passed in their communities. And we uh, use a number of cities and townships as case studies in the exhibit to tell their, their stories and a lot of their personal stories as well. And, and I understand from the titles that you gave me uh, that you are you have a particular interest and expertise uh, in in the history of LGBTQ Pennsylvanians. Yeah, I worked for 32 years for the Pennsylvania Historical and Museum Commission, and I've been an activist for 40 years myself. So I've lived a lot of this history. Um, I've seen a lot of uh, the developments in the LGBTQ community and the civil rights movement, and um, you know I've. I've felt the, the need to really uh, document that history because we're losing so much of the knowledge and, and the, uh, the, the activists that have worked uh, in the past, the pioneers that, that uh, started this movement. Uh, many of them are, have died or are dying off. So uh, it's important that we um, capture those stories while we still can. And we do oral histories. We've done 143 oral history interviews with people just in central Pennsylvania alone. Um, so we're documenting this history locally, and then also a number of other organizations around the state are also doing similar projects to document the history of the LGBTQ community. Okay. Um, and we're also gathering a lot of archival materials as well and uh, trying to make sure that we have the full picture of what the story was. So it's not lost on me that this is in the state capitol. Uh, and being from Harrisburg, we both know that uh, there are there are numerous places around the area that this exhibit could have been could have been uh, constructed. Why the state capitol? Well, we wanted to make sure that this sends a message to the people who make decisions for us, uh, all the legislators and the administration. And of course, we know that Governor Wolf has been very supportive of the LGBTQ community. Um, but we also need the legislature to help out with that as well and to finally pass a statewide legislation so it's not necessary anymore to go town by town, city by city to make those uh, changes incrementally. Um, so that's, that's the reason for the launch today uh, in the Capitol. But we also are moving this exhibit all around the state because we want to bring it to every community that has an interest in hearing about LGBT history and the history of this movement and also the, the efforts that people have gone to to get those rights. Um, and so uh, we've got 20 bookings already of this exhibit around the state and we're excited about the fact that there's a lot of very positive response to this. Well, if someone listening to this is interested in booking the exhibit, where can they go for more information? Sure. They can go to our website, um, centralpalgbtcenter.org slash the long road. Great. Thanks, Barry. It's a great exhibit. Really appreciate your time and your effort. Thank you.
Thank you to Barry Loveland and everyone at the LGBT Community Center of Central PA for their efforts. The exhibit is really well done and worth your time to check it out. At the center's website, centralpalgbtcenter.org slash thelongroad, there is a lot of helpful information about the exhibit, including a calendar that shows where it can be seen and information about booking it. I will include a link to that website uh, in the show notes. If you're enjoying this podcast, please rate us on your podcast app of choice. That's one of the best ways for people who love podcasts and who love civil liberties to learn about our show and the work of the ACLU of Pennsylvania. That brings us to the end of episode 22. The editor of Speaking Freely is Amy Giacomucci. Our music is from bensound.com. The executive director of the ACLU of Pennsylvania is Reggie Shuford. I'm Andy Hoover, the host, writer, and director of this podcast. Until next time, be free. 